You're listening to Red Compass After Hours, the podcast where the best and brightest of the financial services industry let their hair down, unbutton their collars, and share what they really think about payments. I'm Mike Truter, Director of Digital Ecosystems and Innovation at Red Compass, and in each episode, I'm joined by my friend and colleague, Julie Getter. Let's kick things off. Today, we not only have a special guest, but in support of International Women's Day, we've selected the topic of gender and financial inclusion as a special focus for our After Hours discussion. We're very honored and excited to welcome Elisa Minisketti. Elisa is currently based in Singapore as Vice President in the Digital Transformation Division of MUFG Bank, where she supports MUFG fintech investees to reach scale across Southeast Asia. Prior to this, she has lived in Myanmar to promote the uptake of digital financial services, was involved in initiatives to increase the use of mobile money services amongst women in Africa and Asia, and has worked in Tanzania, helping rural Tanzanian and Burundian women to become contributing members of a successful fair trade enterprise. Okay, let's get down to business. As usual, the format is simple. We keep the spice and spontaneity as we have not prepared a script and we'll simply see where the conversation takes us. There's only one rule. Like the Scottish knife, the skin do, we need to keep things short, sharp, and to the point. Elisa, wow, what an amazing career and such a strong focus on financial inclusion for women. Can you tell us a little bit more about what led you to focus on empowering women through financial services? Hi, Mike. Hi, Judy. Thank you for having me here with you today. It's my pleasure. Yeah, sure. So um, during my first and second year um, of my master's degree, I had to pay for my visa to go to the U.S. But as you said, I was, I was uh, doing my internship in this social enterprise that was aimed at empowering women uh, through, through um, um, Articraft. And um, as I was there, there was no way for me to go to Dar es Salaam where the American embassy was based. So as I was complaining in the village about this issue that I was having, I was approached by a gentleman who told me that actually I didn't have to travel all the way to Dar es Salaam, which was located several kilometers, thousands of kilometers compared to where I was. Um, but I could simply send the money via mobile phone and this was like mind-blowing for me and it was not a scam you know what you're thinking it was not a scam at all so I ended up giving him the money which was 250 US dollars which as you can imagine was quite substantial for for someone living in in a, in a rural area of Tanzania um, and through his mobile phone through the technology then I, I discovered to be mobile money um, I was able to I was able to pay for my visa and then get my visa and go to the US to travel and uh, after, my, after I graduated from uh, my master's in the US, this, this sort of use of the mobile phone, the use of technology you know, to empower people who otherwise would be com completely financially excluded sort of stuck with me. And I, um, and I pursued a career in, in, in financial inclusion specifically via mobile money. Again, mobile money is, is, is a tool that has been used by mobile network operators um, the pioneer was uh, M-Pesa in, in, uh, in Kenya, I think back in the early 2000s. And, uh, and ever, since has been, ever since has been growing and has been, has been like the primary way in which people, especially in, in Sub-Saharan Africa, are able to, to be financially included. Um, and, uh, and therefore, I was, I was able to get my first job at the GSMA where I was focusing on this full time. Uh, unpacking specifically the differences in, in uptake and usage of mobile money between men and women. So this is my, this is my little personal story that led me to, to pursue a career in, in financial inclusion. 
Uh, just, just for those of us who don't know, GSMA is a, a company that, uh, an organization that does what? Sure, it's the Global Association of Mobile Network Operators. Uh, and they have, um, they have a fund, a development fund, uh, that looks at which, ways in which the mobile phone as a tool can be used to sort of empower people in developing countries. Again, the mobile phone is probably the most ubiquitous piece of technology, the, the most affordable also piece of technology that people in developing countries um, are likely to have. And, uh, and again, it's, it is basically like the gateway to a series of life enhancing services like mobile money and, and mobile internet. And as you can imagine, you know, mobile ownership is really the first necessary step for someone to be able to access uh, this, this life enhancing services like mobile money. I think Julie and I have had this conversation in the past before, but like looking at what you know traditional rails are in, I guess the developed world, right, where where there's a central bank with very established uh, schemes that allow kind of retail payments to cross them, but but that's that's certainly not universal, right? And and so typically the places where we see mobile money is those countries where they don't have a well-established financial ecosystem or financial market infrastructure, right? So mobile phones are are kind of stepping in and providing that alternative payment rail for people to, to transact effectively. Yeah, that's right. And in the beginning, in the early days of, of M-Pesa in Kenya, mobile money, the provision of M-Pesa by Safaricom was not seen immediately as a ge revenue generating business. In fact, it started losing money since the outset for at least the first uh, five years. It was seen a bit more as a way to increase the stickiness of right. Of, um, of customers, right? Of, of existing Safaricom customers. Uh, but, you know, after sort of the first five years in which it was losing money, it quickly became widespread because it was clearly addressing certain barriers that people were, were, were experiencing in these countries. Uh, when it comes to Kenya, for instance, there was this inherent like lack of safety when it comes to, you know, like sending money. If you don't have a bank account, the only way for you you know, person my age, you know, around 30 years of age, living in, in the, in the town, in, you know, in, in Nairobi, in, in a big metropolis, trying to make some meat and trying to send money to your family, for instance, located in, in, in a rural area. If you don't have a bank account, then the only way without mobile money that you do that is you, you give money to someone who then boards a bus, and then you have to pray that this person delivers the money and all of it to the intended recipient. So, Again, this the risk of theft of you know having money in your pocket rather than in your um, rather than in your mobile phone or in your bank account. Uh, I think were sort of main drivers that um, main drivers that led people to to start using um, M-Pesa. And the service was so successful that it was that a lot of countries, a lot of uh, mobile network operators across Sub-Saharan Africa tried to replicate it. Um, in many cases, unsuccessfully because they, they follow the copy-paste approach rather than copy and, and contextualize approach, if you want. I seem to remember, Julie, I, I can't remember the numbers. Was it more than 60 countries have, there are more than 60 mobile money uh, kind of implementations around the world, right, in, in third world, but they don't, we don't see them at all in, in Europe, right? No, I think for me, like the point that you made around like, um, basically Safaricom and Impesa not, not being profitable at first is interesting. Um, 
because for me there is a point around like you know the witch in general and if you think of like it's it's interesting depending on the segment how people look at it because if i think of for example facebook the early days was it profitable no yet it was basically like you know the value of the company was very high because of the reach and the number of customers it had. So I feel like, you know, that could be the same story for Safaricom. Yes, not, 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 not maybe yet profitable and so on, but because of the reach, then potentially, like, you know, you can, uh, I would say, start to think of different type of products. So think of, you know, the concept of co-selling, upselling, or uh, start touching different in like different, I don't know, sort of industry, like thinking of, I don't know, for example, insurance and this type of thing. But I feel very interesting the fact that on one end, when we look at Facebook, it's a company where we said, oh, okay, they're not profitable, but, but value like, you know, billion. And then the other end, when it's the same concept applied to a different part of the world, the company does not have the same value. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's very true. And as a matter of fact, with the, with the mobile money, it was initially sending and receiving money. And the, the way that, you know, that uh, Safaricom was generating, uh, generating value, like monetary value out of this was transactions, a cut of the transactions, which obviously if the transactions are very low value, the cut, the percentage cut yeah. is going to be also very low. Um, so, but yeah, it's fantastic how they stuck to it. And then they started adding services to it, like you mentioned, through partnerships by providing loans, um, which required obviously from a regulation standpoint in Kenya, uh, a partnership with a bank, um, but they also started offering um, insurance. Um, they started offering savings products um, on, the, on, the, on the wallet as they were seeing that people naturally started to store money uh, on the wallet, not saving it, just storing. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So that was, uh, that was interesting. And of course, something that is oftentimes overlooked in, in uh, such a development is that you, you need to have a strong, a strong network of you know, replacement of ATMs, right? Because if you think mm -hmm. at a bank, the cost, I remember there was a study from the World Bank that was estimating the cost of, for a bank to set up an ATM around uh, 400,000 US dollars. So the wow, cost wow. of setting and maintaining the ATM, which obviously, you know, even like think about bringing electricity in areas where there is no electricity, right? Because effectively what is M-Pesa, for instance, or mobile money targeting is people who live in, in rural areas, right? Who don't even have a bank nearby, let alone an ATM. Um, so, so whereas the cost of setting up a mobile money agent, which is meant to be the walking ATM, if you want, is only 400, uh, 400 US dollars. There was a study by the, by the World Bank that I think estimated this, I, mean, I think CGAP. And obviously you can see the, that, you know, it makes much more sense for a mobile network operator to provide, you know, a walking ATM, which is the, the, the mobile money agent compared to a bank um, offering, you know, like opening a branch or opening an ATM in, in, a, in a rural area. So it's, um, yeah, I think the, the, the power and the, the need for agents um, to, that help customers to perform cash in and cash out uh, onto their wallet is, is oftentimes um, neglected if you want, whereas there are um, uh, like an integral part of, of what constitutes mobile money and what makes it successful. 
And also the fact that if we go back to sort of the gender aspect of this, how in certain countries, um, um, in certain countries, the gender of the agent was a, a main sort of discriminant um, that sort of decided whether you know a woman was to open a bank, sorry, to open a mobile money account or to make transactions because there is this correlation, especially in sub-Saharan Africa, of certain countries more than others. I guess it's it's important not to generalize about this, but how there is a tendency. Be among uh, female customers to be more at ease with female agents. So this is one of the nuances that sort of it's important to highlight when we talk about gender and, and mobile money as well. We tend to think as, uh, as customers as a sort of a monolithic, homogeneous sort of segment. Whereas as you mentioned earlier, it's very important to sort of, you know, even look at the basics, right? The gender segmentation of your customer base, the gender segmentation of your prospective customers, where do they live? What is their like basic income? Are they educated? Are they not educated? Because by looking at this, you sort of uncover a lot of, uh, of interesting uh, sort of insights that can lead you to increase um, the uptake of mobile money among your you know, current and prospective customer base, as well as the usage. Because as we said, you know, if mobile money operators make money out of the transactions that occur every day, you know, on each account, you really want to reach as many people as possible. And you want them mm -hmm. to not be just regular users, to not just use it once a week, not use it once a day, but multiple times a week, multiple times a day. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, ab absolutely. And I think for me, like, the point you made about data is quite critical, right? Um, because today it's really where that we get like, it's improving a lot, but it's still, it's, it's still where that you get actually like gender um, segregated data. And actually often when you look at gender segregated data, then you see, for example, that um, women are better borrower. Um, yeah. effectively than men. Again, in, in general, um, in, in the, I'm sure there is exception to this, like, um, um, but the point is like, by looking and disaggregating, like, you know, the, the, the data as such, I think we could increase, like you mentioned, the adoption and trying to really think of ways for, unfortunately, women that are still excluded from you know, the financial services well of like different incentive to bring them on the right. Because at the end of the day, this is a profitable segment. You know, like again, um, you yeah. need one, you want to bring volume. Two, you probably want to like basically cross-sell. If you want to cross-sell, as you mentioned earlier, that's probably a credit. So you want like, you know, to, to, lo to loan to someone who is a, a good borrower so that you can see your money back and have your, your interest being paid, right? Um, Absolutely. And whether you like it or not, women are like 50% of the population, if you want a little more uh, than that. So, you know, just by not, as you say, like gender disaggregating at, at a minimum, right, your, your data, existing customer, prospective customers, I think you just lose out on, on, on a massive opportunity. I think like for me, another question that, that, that I have is, um, so in general, we have like 1.7 um, billion end bank people, right? 
it's interesting to see that out of the 1.7, 1.1 billion individuals are actually women. So we discussed like, you know, um, probably like segregated a, a bit more like, you know, the data as, as a way. Do you see like any other way to basically like kind of close this gap? Because the, the other interesting thing is like since I think it's 2011, the gender gap on this data did not did not move effectively. So um, yeah. I'm curious to hear your thoughts about it. Yeah, I think you're you're quoting the fintech uh, fintechs, right? The the sort of a survey that gets done every three years by, by yeah. the World Bank is I think is a, the bible when it comes to financial inclusion. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So for sure. Um, I guess that mobile money goes a long way to sort of tap into this massive opportunity that is represented by, as you say, 1.1 billion women being unbanked. Um, and this is, you know, the reason for this is, again, because with a mobile phone, you can actually open a bank, not a bank account, so you can open a wallet, right, that allows you to do certain, you know, certain transactions that very much resemble, you know, what you could do if you had a bank account. So. We don't call them unbanked, those who have a mobile money, we don't call them banked because obviously don't have um, 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 you know, a bank account, uh, but they are financially included, right? Because they do have a way to store mm -hmm. their money. They do have a way to uh, make transactions uh, digitally, right? And, and not in an um, analog way. I think um, when it comes to mobile money, I think the, 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 the global fintechs uh, says that women are so the gender differences are, are quite big. Um, there are, women are 33% less likely than men uh, to own uh, a mobile money account, which is uh, like a slightly reduction from, from the previous, um, from the previous uh, survey that was done in 2014. But again, sort of this, these numbers mask very, very big differences um, at, a, at, a, at a regional as well as at the country level. And if you sort of look at this data, you unpack this data a little bit, you see that um, Sub-Saharan Africa, of course, is like the, the, cra the cradle of, of mobile money, if you want. And, um, and as a result, sort of the gender gap is around 20% between, the gender gap is between men and women um, owning a mobile money account, whereas um, in Southeast Asia is, is around 75%. So it's, uh, it's much, much um, higher. In terms of you know what drives this gender gap, it's it's there's not one thing, right? There's mm -hmm. if there was only one challenge, that would be easy. probably one solution, right? Like one yeah. silver, silver bullet that targets that, and that's and that's easy. But obviously, different countries have different regulations. They have uh, different people, different cultures, uh, different challenges. So if we look at you know what is um, what is holding women back from owning, for instance, a, a mobile money account. Um, one of them that was observed, for instance, in, in Chad was the lack of access to identity, um, identity mm -hmm. documents. And again, this you can tell that it's, I mean, to open a, a mobile money account, apparently in Chad, you need to provide a proof of identity. And women more often than men, they don't have one and they basically don't exist. So this is something, this is a barrier that to be tackled requires like intervention at the regulation level, right? Um, there's not much you can do um, other, other than that. Um, then there was a research that I did while I was at the GSMA in, in Mali and Ivory Coast 
um, that sort of looked at, you know, what was preventing women from, you know, from registering from a mobile, for a mobile money account to mm -hmm. become an active user of a mobile money account. Because again, there are sort of certain stages that you have to go through. Opening a bank account doesn't make you banked, right? If you do Absolutely. all of the transactions, you know, using cash, it really doesn't, it means that you yeah. have a bank account. But again, there are certain differences that I observed in Mali and Ivory Coast, uh, and they were preventing women from moving from the registration phase all the way to becoming like an active, a power user, um, I defined it, of, of of, of mobile money. And those were the fact that they were not really fully understanding what the service was about. Um, they didn't think they needed it because, you know, whether you like it or not, there is this sort of a sort of patriarch, patriarchal system mm -hmm. that sees women a bit more relegated to in the house. Uh, so what is perceived as their task is not as much as, you know, like, you know, sending money or like managing, managing the finances. Um, very much that is still sort of pertains sort of more archaic gender roles. Um, and then something else that, you know, was preventing women from, you know, becoming uh, power users of, of mobile money was the fact that they were very low in digital skills and literacy. So they were really like a struggling from a technological standpoint on understanding how it, how it would work. Sometimes it was real, sometimes it was just perceived. Uh, we tend to be a bit uh, modest and, you know, like thinking that we can't do things. And, and so that was something that was holding women in, in Mali and Ivory Coast back. Um, and then, then there's the sort of the age old problem, which is lack of trust, right? Um, mm -hmm. Maybe they had tried something similar before. It didn't, you know, it didn't work out. And so their trust was gone. And also if we think about, you know, people who tend to live around the poverty line of $2.5 uh, per day, even if you lose like 10 cents, is a big deal. Yeah. It's a big deal. Um, so, so, this, so then also what I said earlier about um, mobile money agents, right? In, uh, in, uh, in Rwanda, it was shown that, um, you know, women tended to prefer um, same agents to interact with they were more they were more uh, comfortable with that and so there is there is really like a positive correlation between the percentage of female agents are employed by mobile network operators and and the proportion of the female customers that is this mobile network operator that has so again it's really it's it's a if you unpack the the reasons why sort of women tend to be left behind when it comes to mobile money usage um it's not just one reason is many reasons that obviously have have um, have their roots in in what is their cultural um, you know what's the, what's the cultural condition of a given country of a given uh, region uh, as well as the regulatory if you want. I was wondering. So if we if we manage to to kind of solve the problem, obviously there's lots of initiatives to try and correct the balance and improve the the balance and. Um, what, what, what are the benefits that come from having kind of equality in, in men and women being able to, to kind of use money equally? Yeah, so for starters, if we look at um, sort of the, the, the commercial impact that this would have uh, for mobile network operators who offer mobile money services, um, I mean, this would be substantial, right? As we said in the beginning, 
women represent really 50% of the addressable market in every market. Like there is no, <laughs> there is no way around it. So if you don't look at your data and you don't do something specific to address some of the barriers that women face from accessing your service and then using it uh, regularly, using it powerfully, um, then really you're losing, you're missing out on like 50% of your addressable market, which is, I want to say like too big to ignore. Um, so, so yeah, when I was at the GSMA, there was always this, there was always this balance that we tried to strike um, in, in the minds of, you know, because we were advocating, right? So you have to advocate to regulators, you have to advocate mainly to, to MNOs, mobile network operators. And there's always this social impact that goes hand in hand with commercial sustainability. Um, you don't really want, um, you really don't want to do charity. So if you offer a service that is life enhancing, that is life changing, uh, then you might want to, you might want to charge for that because oftentimes people, if you offer them something for free, they don't even take it like seriously enough. So in terms of, obviously, in terms of um, sort of commercial impact on the side of mobile network operators, I, want, I would like to say that, again, if you, if you don't address women, you miss out on 50% of your, of your addressable market. On the side of women, of course, um, you know, having access to a technology like mobile money just empowers you. And we have, um, I mean, myself, I was, I was in Mali, I was in, I was in Ivory Coast, I was in in East Africa as well. And there were always sort of these heartwarming stories about how women, you know, like had the transformational effect that mobile money had um, in their lives. So it um, empowers them because it makes them feel capable if you want, and also allows them to sort of, sort of reclaim uh, the power that they have to manage the resources. Uh, may maybe gives them a kick to, you know, like start off like, a, you know, an entrepreneurship venture. Um, so, so yeah, there is there are many many benefits stemming from you know granting equal access to uh, to mobile money services to both men and women. So, I, I think and even like you know if you, if you <clears throat> take this kind of like you know one one step further as well, like often like having having an account and like you know or e even a mobile money account, right? Like. That's the way for being paid. So that's the way to end, to be in a position where you can actually offer goods or services and be paid. So kind of enter the workforce. And it's interesting to see that, you know, some of the um, McKinsey figures, which obviously are not specific on mobile money, uh, but just like looking at this in, in general. And, and they said that like by bringing more women to the workforce in general, like women could contribute like to 12 trillion to the global GDP by 2025. So, and at the end of the day, when you think of it, you start by initiative like this, right? Um, yeah. Yeah, yes, for sure. That's an amazing number. I'd love to talk all day about this, but I think uh, we're pressing on uh, for time. Um, Elisa, thank you for enlightening us uh, on such an important topic. Uh, really, I'm, I'm amazed, you know, what, what's been shared today. And it's really something that, that probably is not discussed enough, um, you know, especially when you consider financial inclusion touches on no less than eight of the 17 United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, which, which is significant. So a focus on, on gender equality and financial inclusion 
um, has a big impact on, on improving you know, our, our global society. And I think too often the developed world assumes financial services um, that we enjoy are, are universal, but you know, the reality is that they're not, and especially so for women. So a key, a key ingredient uh, for solving gender inequality requires ensuring gender equality in financial services as well. Thanks for listening to Red Compass After Hours. Search for Red Compass After Hours in YouTube for the video version of this series and much more. Give us a thumbs up, hit subscribe, and click on the bell to get notified when future new content arrives. That's all for this episode. See you next time.